When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And there's a lot to talk about actually in terms of Everton today, despite there being an international break. And that's thanks to Farhad Mashiri, of course. He has increased his stake in Everton to 68.6%. It's been announced this afternoon. And he is set to increase it even further to 77.2%. That has to be done by July 2019. Now, Preno, I'll come to you first. Obviously, we have, uh, we've heard a lot of discussion about this today. Uh, what, what does this actually mean for Everton? Um, I think it describes it as a subtle but significant shift. And I think the important thing to say is that, you know, it's not really come out of the blue, this. When um, Farhad Mashiri bought into Everton in February 2016, uh, he signed a binding undertaking with Bill Kenwright that he would increase his stake. Um, that wasn't expected to be happening right now. I think Everton have accelerated uh, the move to do that. And the reasons are quite clear. It's because it gives uh, Farhad Mashiri greater leverage, if you like, when it comes to uh, trying to attract investment uh, for new stadium funding. Now, 49.9% is effectively you know, the, the, the majority shareholding. I know it's a major shareholding. It's not quite majority. But in reality, 50.1% of the remaining shareholders aren't ever going to be able to get their uh, resources together to vote him out. So that effectively, he was you know, the majority shareholder. But the fact that he now actually is the majority shareholder with a significantly increased shareholding, I think it just gives him greater clout when it comes to uh, trying to source investors for the new stadium. So in that respect, yeah, it is quite a significant move. Um, what's also significant is the fact that he's bought all of John Woods's uh, shareholding. He's now, now no longer a share, you know, or you might have one or two, but you know, so certainly not a, a significant shareholder. Likewise, Arthur Abercrombie. Uh, and also Bill Kenwright, he's bought out half of his shares. And I think it's also significant uh, to realise that Bill now has 5% of the remaining shares, uh, which means he's the second largest uh, remaining shareholder behind Mashiri, and the pair of them are still working very, very closely. I know people see this sometimes as being a way of maybe Bill's taking a step backwards, maybe um, you know, so lessening his involvement in the club. That's not the case. Uh, the pair are working very closely together. Mashiri is delighted that Bill's agreed to stay on. Uh, I think it should be stressed that the pair will continue to work together. And I personally, you two might disagree, uh, but I think that's very, very important to Everton Football Club. I think he's been a good counter uh, and a, a good sounding board uh, for Farhad Mashiri in the couple of years that he's been here so far. Mm. Well, I'll open that up to you, Sam. What do you think about Ken Wright's future? No, I've always thought the same. Obviously, he's a Marmite figure, seemingly amongst Evertonians, isn't he? But then at the same time, you've got to look at the position we were in when he made the quite gutsy call to sack Walter Smith back when uh, we were quite young. I found out about that on teletext. It shows how long ago that was. <laughs> my mum rang me down, was like, put the teletext on. And Making obviously, feel to, ancient here, to, I was uh, waiting down at Belfield. Uh, Abel Xavier had actually run this uh, 
uh, campaign amongst the uh, the players to try and support Walter Smith. Uh, <laughs> oh, he God. was very, very popular amongst the players and obviously he failed miserably. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been what drove him to, uh, drove him to Anfield. <laughs> um, so obviously made that decision to bring in the, the somewhat unknown David Moyes at that point. And, and, and that, I think in a lot of ways, when you remember the squad that Everton had at that time and, and the kind of the football we were playing and the, the league finishes in a lot of ways rescued a team that was, was on the down and although it's felt like a, a pretty miserable few last few years it's a lot better than, than what that was and I think then the ultimate example really is this summer isn't it in the players were brought in I think yeah. uh, every you know I think it was Marco Silva and Marcel Brands themselves who said I think it might have been Brands on deadline day who kind of said how important not just he and Silva were two negotiations but Machiri pulled his weight and Kenright pulled his weight with the with the domestic deals as well and I think a lot of people forget that and jump to conclusions and jump to kind of maybe read between the lines and, and, and come up with conclusions that aren't quite correct. So I think, as Dave says, completely agree that Ken Wright, a lot of experience of, of, of Everton, you know, loves Everton, a lot of experience of the English game. It's got to be the, the perfect kind of foil, it's, hasn't he? It's, it's very, very interesting, the dynamic between the two. Because let, let's not forget that Bill Kenwright attracted Farhad Mashiri to Everton. He got a lot of flack for not selling the club for a long, long time. And that was because he wanted the guy that he felt comfortable with, that he felt was correct for the football club. And he thought that Farhad Mashiri was that right man. Now, I wouldn't say that everything Farhad's done has been absolutely spot on. You know, he, he's made a few strange comments. He's made, you know, a couple of errors. And the pair of them certainly haven't been in agreement over everything. I mean, notably Sam Allardyce's uh, appointments. I think it's quite, you know, sort of an open secret now that you know Bill wasn't wildly enthusiastic about that idea. Uh, but Farhad saw his investments. He saw his um, his football club in danger of being relegated, so he made that call himself. But largely, you know, so he does listen to Bill Kenwright's advice. He does use him uh, in the correct manner. And the pair of them have been quite a decent double act, I would suggest, so far. You know, and that, mm. that will continue, hopefully, you know, in, the, in time to come. I think as long as he stops sending iPhone notes to Jim White, <laughs> we're all, well, we're all does, pretty that, pleased, that does, aren't we? That does appear to have cooled that relationship. Yeah, I think we're all happy to see the back <laughs> of that, really, aren't we? Let's not have him ringing him off Jim White on air deadline day anymore. Yeah, no. let's, let's have none of that. But as, as we've obviously just said there, Sam... Preno thinks that this is obviously a deal that's built around getting a, a better plan for stadium investment. That's got to be a promising step, really, for Everton, hasn't it? Yeah, there's, it's, it's a little bit like kind of... There hasn't been lots and lots of development on, on the stadium front, so anything that can kind of kickstart that and, and start getting the wheels in motion and, you know, you kind of now... I know Spurs have had their own kind of problems with their new stadium, but you do kind of start looking and... You know, until that first kind of spade goes in the ground, it's all up in the air a little bit, isn't it? And I think one of the major things, you know, bring a lot of positivity now to, to, to kind of get some firm, clear directions. And obviously, you know, I think they appointed the kind of, the guy recently to kind of... Yeah, Colin yeah. Chong. Yep, they mm. appointed him to kind of, you know, work closely with the with the stadium. And, and, and you can see that there's a lot of hard work going in behind the scenes when you, when you look at, like, some of the stuff Denise has said and, and, and things like that. So... A lot of hard work going, isn't it? And, and obviously, I'm not expecting there to be a resolution too too soon. And obviously, I don't think they're going to start laying the foundations next week by any means. But mm. as you said, a positive step. I think what this does do is underline that Everton are looking further afield uh, as regards funding for the new stadium. You know, for a long time, uh, they were not committed to, but they were certainly looked like they were going to use the uh, the city council's 
uh, funding vehicle, which in turn comes from central government. And the city benefits from that because, you know, the city council gets the interest that Everton, you know, so it would have been paying uh, a private investor. But they are looking elsewhere now. There's lots of uh, rumours and counter-rumours. And, you know, I know Phil Kirkbride, our Everton correspondent, is working hard on, um, you know, potential investment uh, vehicles that Everton might be looking at. Uh, but this just does indicate, I think, that, you know, the spreading the net wide, you know, so Farhad Mashiri is now in a stronger position to attract potential investors. And, you know, so hopefully that will be the next uh, significant announcement that comes from the football club, mm-hmm. you know, as regards behind the scenes stuff rather than on the field stuff. Mm. And same with you for a sec there, Preno. Obviously, we've seen a lot of investment on the pitch as well since Farhad Mashiri's come in in February 2016. Obviously, with Ronald Koeman and uh, Steve Walsh, a lot of that investment kind of went down the drain a little bit but it looks like it's a very different scenario now with Marco Silva and Marcel Brands do you think maybe him increasing his shareholder means that we'll see a lot more investment on the pitch in the future? Um, I think well his investment's already been considerable Uh, I don't think he's got any plans in uh, you know reining it in I know this summer was a little bit different. You know, we had that situation whereby we were told, you know, he wanted to see a reduction in the wage bill. He wanted to see players off the payroll before other players were attracted. And that wasn't a question of him, you know, losing an appetite or losing enthusiasm for the project. I think he was just fed up seeing, you know, the the amount of money that was wasted last summer. And he wanted to see some of those guys that, you know, so hadn't really hit the ground running, moved on before he was willing to, you know, bring more in. It was just prudent, you know, housekeeping. Um, Because, you know, the money they spent, again, was quite considerable. Uh, You know, it was all quite close to the other transfer deadline. We were getting a bit concerned at one stage in this room, talking about uh, how little transfer business had been done. Uh, But ultimately it was. I think what's also significant is a lot of those players still haven't really been seen yet on the pitch. And uh, it was likened, um, was it the piece that you wrote, Adam? I can't remember now. um, When uh, Roberto Martinez first came in, his first four games in charge of Everton are almost identical to the first four of Marco Silva's. Mm. If you think about it, it was quite a flat start. Um, 0-0 draws against Cardiff and West Brom, scraped past Stevenage Borough in the League Cup. I remember going into one of the lounges after a game and a guy I'm not going to embarrass by naming him, but was absolutely appalled at what he'd been seeing and said, I'm not going to watch Everton again. He was a season ticket holder for 50 odd years. This bloody tippy tappy football, I can't watch any more of that. Yeah. He was absolutely appalled. Anyway, that he, then, he missed a great season well, if well, he's no, lived yeah, that yeah, yeah, I think he carried on watching. <laughs> but that did become like, a great season. Once Romelu Lukaku was on board, once Gareth Barry was playing regularly, you know, so once the players that he brought in in the summer hit the ground running. Now, likewise, this summer, um, OK, we've seen bits of Lucas Digne, uh, but we haven't seen Yeri Mina yet. We haven't seen Andre Gomez yet. You know, Richarlison, we saw, you know, a very, very impressive, you know, sort of two or three games until he had the rush of blood. Uh, so we've still got more to see from him. So hopefully when those new signings embed in, uh, we'll see, you know, even better than what we've seen already. And Phil Jagielka, this is a piece you've definitely written because read that today. Um, Phil Jagielka has uh, admitted that, you know, that it has made it easier for the players in the squad uh, because trying to bring in five or six new players into a new team and a new system can be very, very difficult, as Ronald Koeman discovered last summer. This time, it's only been, you know, one or two new faces, you know, sort of being introduced very, very gradually. And then hopefully, once they're embedded in, we'll then see Yeri Mina, we'll then see Andre Gomez, and it'll all knit a little bit more, you know, fluidly and a little bit better than maybe it was last summer. So, you know, it's been a solid start. Let's not get too carried away. It's been okay. Games that we'd expect to see results in, we've got results in. But fingers crossed we can build on that now. Hey, we'll stay staying on that theme. For the West Ham game, we've probably have three of the new signings available in Bernard, Kurt Zuma and Lucas Digne. 
will probably all be available for that game. Sam, would you throw them all in? Or if not, which ones would you keep out? Uh, well, obviously Zuma should keep his place after the, the Huddersfield game where he was pretty much man of the match. Who were the other two? Uh, Lucas Digne and probably Bernard. Okay, yeah, well, D- Dean and Zuma both started the Huddersfield game, didn't they? So th- they keep their place. Uh, obviously, they were two of our standout performers in, in, in that game and, and both played well in the League Cup game uh, as well, so against Rotherham, so no arguing with that one. Bernard, probably a little bit too soon, obviously, brought him on for a few minutes against Bournemouth and end up in, being injured, which is symptomatic of a player who has only played a few games in the last year was, and you know hasn't had a pre-season, so I think with Richarlison still missing, I'd probably give the nod to maybe Adam Old-Luckman, who's, who's starting for... England under 21 today and hopefully he can get some more good minutes under his belt and, and show us all why Evertonians were so desperate to, to keep hold of him in the summer. I don't think it's worth rushing Bernard in for the sake of it. And then, as Dave said, it's it's exciting times to to look forward. You know, it's almost like a kind of autumnal transfer window, isn't it? To have three players who yeah. a lot of Evertonians won't have seen anything of to, to, come, into, to come into the team. Mm. I'm just... I don't want to tempt face here, choosing my words carefully, but the fact that it's West Ham this Sunday always seems to be that team that, you know, so Everton do pretty well against teams mm-hmm. so home and away. And just one of those fixtures that, you know, you always look to with reasonable levels of confidence. Uh, and given the start that they've made to this season, you know, it, it could be a game yet to introduce, you know, one or two more maybe. Bernard's the guy that I think we really want to see. You know, he's, he's got such a, a, a good reputation, such a good track record. It's right that you can only introduce him when he's absolutely fit and ready. And, you know, maybe just, you know, introduce him from the bench to begin with. Uh, Luckman, he's got a lot, lot to prove, I, I, I still think. Um, there was that one run, you know, so against Huddersfield that, you know, nearly opened things up, which is what he can do. But we've got to see it more consistently. And uh, I think he's still got a fair bit to prove, you know, to, to certainly to oust, you know, Richarlison and Theo Walcott from starting positions. But then again, Walcott's fitness, you know, is a, is a bit 50-50. So we might have to call on him, who knows? Uh, but yeah, you know... It, the, the gauntlet's thrown down to Adam Luckman, as and when he does get that opportunity, it's up to him to take it. I think that's the other thing, isn't it? We're, we're touching on there. You mentioned Adam Luckman and that England under-21s game this afternoon. You know, So you've got not only these new players to come back, but starting for England under-21s today in a European qualifier, you've got Adam Luckman, John Joe Kenny, Kieran Dahl, Tom Davis, Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the bench. And I think the only one who's featured prominently out of them five is Tom Davis, isn't it? So yeah. to think mm. that you've got four lads there also waiting in the wings who are potentially the future of English football and two of them Davies and sorry Dal and Luckman won the under 20s World Cup yeah. together as well Kenny Kenny was and there Kenny yeah. won as well so three Luckman of them was there Luckman was there Calvert Lewin was he goal there we go <laughs> yeah, all, them, all, all them won the under 20 World Cup with England so you know you've, 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 pretend, you've got three lads there uh, proven internationals who've you know yeah, I mean at the World Cup Gomez and uh, at Barcelona Bernard, a great reputation, and, and then these young lads as well, who, who, who I think have got a lot of potential as well. Obviously, I think it's a little bit harder to kind of recognise where does Keaton Dahl fit in behind Sigurdsson, where does John Joe Kenny fit in when Seamus Coleman's fit, where does Dominic Calvert-Lewin fit in. But, you know, the, this is the first time in a long time, I think, with, you know, thinking about what we said earlier about clearing out the dead wood, I think there's a there's a genuine good mix of of youth, experience, kind of, and, and those little bits that last season were just missing and, and, and those plugs that uh, 
those holes, sorry, that Steve Walsh and Ronald Koeman failed to plug kind of thing have just been tightened up a little bit. The, the interesting one of all the players you mentioned there for me is Calvert-Lewin. Uh, big fan of his, and you know, I think he's he's got a lot to offer. And Cheng Tosin, you could argue, is probably the most vulnerable of all the players You know, so in the positions uh, that those young players fill, largely because he hasn't scored this season. But... You know, he has offered plenty of other things as well. I mean, he created goals against Wolves, created goals against Bournemouth with decent touches. And we've seen that touch for Turkey last night. How good was that? No, the outside yeah, of the full such touch. Good assist, that. Sublime assist. So, you know, he is bringing other things into his game. But, you know, strikers are there basically to score goals. And Calvert-Lewin has done that in his last couple of appearances. So, you know, I think you can safely say that he's, you know, Tosin's probably feeling Calvert-Lewin's breath, you know, sort of down his uh, back of his neck now. And uh, he's knocking firmly on the door. And you know, if he again, if he gets his opportunity, you know, he's showing at the moment he's capable of taking a competition for places. That's what you want. You know, mm. that's, that's what you know. Marco Silva said uh, this summer he wanted two players in every position. He hasn't got that uh, throughout the squad yet, but he has in some areas. And you know, so that's certainly one of them. Mm. I think, uh, unfortunately, one of the players who's not going to be available for Everton against West Ham is Richarlison, as we've already mentioned. But he's having. Very good international break, isn't he? He made quite a historic debut again uh, for Brazil against the USA at, at the uh, at the weekend, and he's set to start for Brazil. So, how exciting is that going to be for Everton, Sam, to have a Brazilian international finally? I, I'm going to go out and get the full Brazil kit. <laughs> after this. You haven't got one already. Get <laughs> <laughs> Richarlison R nine R nine on the back of me. Uh... You know what? I'm, I'm made up about. We've got a decent, you know, striker with a number nine on his back for so long. You know, that's a, an iconic number at Everton Football Club. And yeah, you know, without wanting to disrespect Sanjo or other players that have had it in recent years, it's not really been filled by a suitable figure over the last few years. It is now, I think, Richarlison. Okay, not a traditional centre forward, yeah, but he's a goal scorer, you know, and he looks the part. Well, he, he's number nine for Brazil, yeah, I was say, isn't he? What number is he for Everton? He's thirty. He's thirty, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, number thirty for Everton. <laughs> That's a good point, though. Who is number nine for Everton? We haven't got one we now, have we? Really. It was Sandro, and now he's Sandro. moved out on one. Yeah. Yeah. Can, <laughs> can you change? Can you change? Well, to be fair, yeah, I, you know, he, he, what, what a vote of confidence that is. Though, as Penn was kind of saying, to make your Brazil debut with the number nine on your back, and, and obviously. Although, to be fair, it's number 10 of Brazil, isn't it? Pele's number. But well, yeah. <laughs> but still, obviously, a, a, another kind of option for Silva that yeah. Richarlison could potentially play down the middle. And Tosin probably will be feeling the heat. The only thing I think with Tosin is, you look back at quite a few of the goals we've already scored this season, and, and he has had a part to play in them at some point. And it's kind of, you know, we're still unbeaten. And I, I wouldn't say there would be any need to change Tosin until things really started going awry, or he, he kind of had one of those... You know, you look back a few years ago, probably Nikita Jelovic should have got taken out the team a lot earlier than, you know, he eventually did because we had no other striker and he, he just had to play through the drought in the end, didn't he? But, you know, Tosin still looks confident and, and, and looks sharp and had kind of developed a nice little partnership with Richarlison and Theo Walcott and Gilfie Sigurdsson, hadn't he? Until, as Dave said, Richarlison had that little rush of blood. So, you know, Richarlison really, I think the, 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 the best part about it for Everton is that maybe if he'd just been sent off and he had three games to stew in the stands... You know, you lose a bit of match fitness, you lose a bit of sharpness, maybe your head goes down a little bit, only a young lad not playing football with this three weeks off. You know, he's played two games for Brazil, he's made his debut, he'll be absolutely flying with confidence and he'll be ready to come back and first game back against Arsenal at the Emirates, is it? Mm, yeah. Uh, what a game to come back into and a ground Everton have never, ever won at. You know, a lot of Evertonians my age never even seen us win away at Arsenal. I've 
Oh God! Well, I was there the last time, and um, it was a long time ago. It was uh, Graham Stewart and Andre Konchelska scored two uh, one in nineteen ninety five ninety six, I think, back at Highbury, a lovely old stadium. But yeah, it, it's traditionally a stadium or traditionally a football club. Everton have never done well against away from home. But yeah, it, it, it's wrong. You know, to have never won a match at a particular stadium that they go to every single season. Uh, that, that's got to change sometime soon. There's a few we could say that about though. Stamford Bridge. Let's not even talk about a mile or so. About Stanford Park. <laughs> one, one. <laughs> well, I, I think in my lifetime, I've seen us win that Oviedo one at, Man- at Manchester United. Uh, we beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on pens in the FA Cup, so I'll take that all day. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I think we've won once or twice at Spurs, a couple of times at Spurs. Yeah, uh, uh, Spurs isn't too For bad. For some reason, I just don't. St- I, just, I still don't class Spurs as that like upper echelon. Club. No, there's still, they're, they're, they're still just like pretenders almost to me. Well, I don't know. That's settled for their run over the last few years. Well, but, yeah. uh, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but I think the other big news of the international break came out yesterday that Seamus Coleman has had to pull out of the Ireland squad through injury. Breno, is that a massive blow to Everton? Um, under normal circumstances, you would say, you know, so yes, because Seamus Coleman is such a, an influential figure. Uh, not just in terms of his play, but in terms of his leadership. Uh, you know, in terms of his, you know, sort of what he, you know, he brings, you know, sort of onto the pitch. But I'll caveat that with saying his form so far this season has not been great. You know, we've seen him play far better. John Joe Kenny is actually, you know, busting a gut, you know, sort of to try and get back into that team. And the, the, the bits of games he has played, he's looked very impressive. So you know, he's going to try and put pressure on the manager. Uh, so it might not be. Such as big a blow as we had initially thought. I mean, it, it, it's weird because for, for me, Coleman and Baines have been two of the most like sort of influential figures at Everton over the last few seasons. Massive fan of both of them. And again, we've sat in this room and I've argued the toss about why Leighton Baines should still be playing and Lucas Digne shouldn't be. Uh, Lucas Digne has exploded that you know sort of argument with his performances in the last couple of games. You know, so he's in the team on merit and is keeping Baines out on merit. Seamus Coleman, I mean, let's hope the same kind of thing happens with John Joe Kenny, that, you know, so he does nail down a place and hold it down on merit. Because, you know, Coleman is, you know, so one of the Premier League's, you know, so best right backs. But, you know, he's not getting any younger. Um, he did have a very, very long spell out with injury, but came back very successfully at the end of last season. But he started the season slowly. So, you know, it's up to John Joe. You know, if he can, uh, you know, sort of grab the opportunity with both hands, you know, it's up to him. Well, Dave's mentioned Seamus' performances so far this season. Obviously, the injury plays a big factor as well. Do you think he's maybe suffering from a, a little bit of a hangover from, from that injury, Sam? Like, Obviously, when you come back from such a ser- serious injury, you're playing on adrenaline almost for those first couple of matches, aren't you? Do you think maybe that's just worn off a bit and he's, try- he's trying to build himself back up after having a summer off? I'm not sure. I think he came back in late January, didn't he? So I, I wouldn't say it would be too much about having an injury hangover. I think it might just be down to you know your hold... Seamus Coleman to such high standards because I think in all the years watching him, you know, since we signed him as this kind of raw potential lad from Ireland, you, you've never really seen Seamus Coleman be anything less than a 7 out of 10 week in, week out, whether that was right midfield, right back, whether we were winning, whether we were losing, whether we were on the attack or under the cosh. Seamus Coleman never let you down, did he? And, and that's not to say he has at all this season either because he hasn't. But he just hasn't hasn't hit those usual heights. And, you know, what happens, it, it's, it's one of those things, I think, Leighton Baines has gone through similar spells as well on on, on the left side, and again, it's the it's the luxury of having having a good squad, isn't it? And, and John Joe Kenny can come in if needed on on Sunday, and I'm sure he won't let anyone down either. And I'm sure 
you know, he, he can contribute something going forward and, and defensively, but you you always want James Coleman in, in your Everton team for, for as long as as long as you can have him. Obviously Sam's mentioned there that Kenny is perfectly capable of stepping up. You mentioned leadership a, a bit earlier there, Preno. Kenny was the captain for the Premier League two twenty sixteen seventeen campaign, wasn't he? Do you think maybe he do he will have the leadership qualities that, that we need in that position? I think that's quite an ambitious call given the fact that, you know, he's such a young lad who's, you know, so not played that much football, you know, over the last uh, 12 months or so. I find it quite weird, you know, so how that armband is being passed around this season. I think, you know, four already, you know, this season. Um, you'd imagine that, you know, so if James Coleman doesn't play... You know, if so Coleman doesn't play and Baines doesn't play and Jagielka won't play, no. who, who, who becomes Everton captain in that situation? Well, I'll tell you what, that's a call. That's I mean, a good point, isn't it? Well, Morgan Schneidlin is possibly yeah. the most... Um, but I mean again that, that was a, a really great interview he gave this week Morgan yeah. Schneidlin yeah. about um, and credit where credit's due we sat down with Paul Joyce one of uh, the old boys of this place um, <laughs> you know he used to work here many years ago and uh, works for the Times now and he sat down with him and gave quite a, quite an honest um, well he claimed uh, you know, <laughs> sort of assessment of what happened you know, that afternoon on the training pitch we're not going to go back. I think he sugarcoated what happened that day. Uh, I'm not saying I disbelieve him. I just think he's uh, put a you know, slightly uh, rosier tint on it than actually what happened. But that's water under the bridge. That, that, that's last season. That's gone. Um, his form this season has been very, very good. And uh, he did say that he wants to prove to Evertonians that you know, so he does care about the football club, that he does give a monkeys about you know, so, you know, his form and about you know, so what, what's happening on the pitch. And it looks like he is showing that so far. So fair play. I mean, if we see the Morgan Schneiderlin that first arrived at Everton Football Club from Man United, and uh, if it had transposed that form over an entire season, he could arguably have been player of the season that season rather than Lukaku. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. He was only here for half a season. His form was awful at times last season, but he's come back, you know, sort of stronger and more committed. So yeah, if we're seeing that, that could be a call. You know, so he could be the guy, you know, with the armband. It'd be interesting to see what the fans make of that, because you know, I think there's plenty behind him, plenty still a little bit sceptical. But I can't really think of many others. Mm. I mean, Pickford, like you say, again. Dave, that, if Davis starts, though, would, would he just get it again? Yeah, Davis has actually won then? it, hasn't he? But, you know, again. Schneiderlin, Garner, and. Well, Garner, Sigurdsson. But Garner could also be injured, couldn't he? Well, if if fit, you presume Garner. Garner, Schneiderlin. You know what? We're harking back to a season that, oh, God, I remember it. Was it 97, 98? was an abysmal season for Everton Football Club. And it was underlined how abysmal it was by the number of players that wore the captain's armband <laughs> that year. It's like <laughs> Howard Kendall couldn't make his mind up. John Hutchison had it. Nick Barnby wore it. Slavin oh. Bilic wore it. Uh, I think there were five or six uh, Duncan, Duncan, yeah. Duncan got it and he kept it in the end he scored a hat-trick with his first, you know, first game <laughs> so that was a good decision uh, but that was you know, a revolving you know, sort of armband because whoever wore it didn't really impress I mean this season I think it's because of injuries and because of circumstances yeah. really that's being passed around but you know, it, it could reach those figures very very quickly mm. you know, so five or six new skippers Yeah. so let's say that potentially Morgan Schneiderlin does start as Everton captain against West Ham Sam that that represents a massive turnaround for him, wouldn't it? Obviously, you monitor social media quite a lot. Have you seen a, a significant change in attitude towards Morgan Schneiderlin this season? I wouldn't say it's, it's significant, and I still think it's probably a little bit too early to tell, isn't it? I, think I was quite impressed with his first few games. Uh, I don't know. I, I still don't think he's doing those things, like as Dave said, that he was doing when he first arrived, and you kind of thought, you know, he was like the uber Gareth Barry, wasn't he? You know, I think... 
Baddy just got to that stage where he was just a little bit too old to do the things that we wanted to do with Everton. And then Schneidlin came in and he could, you know, he had the position in the Baddy, he could tackle, he could pass, he could open the game up. Almost the perfect foil for Garner's Haddy. And, you know, he, Schneidlin isn't someone who's going to run from one side of the pitch to the other to chase the ball down, but he just seems to be in the right places and, and kind of just fill in those little gaps where if, if Garner got sucked out. Um, last season, all of that was missing. Uh, and I think that was the most disappointing part of the whole thing, wasn't it? The only thing Evertonians ever expect from someone really is for them to give a hundred percent. And I think, you know, there was a few instances, wasn't it, that were flagged up on social media. Maybe like, I think that GIF emerged of the Arsenal game where it kind of almost looked yeah. as if he didn't want to close down a shot, uh, and and stuff like that's never gonna never gonna put you in in good stead. I think the thing that I'd say would probably be what an opportunity that would be, wouldn't it, to walk out of Goodison to be the captain, you know less than a year after you were getting booed onto the pitch and something that, as Preno said, he, he was well aware of, he was well aware that he was being booed onto the pitch and, you know, it, it does take a, little, a lot of bottle this summer to stay and, and say, right, I'm going to fight for my place, doesn't it? Because no doubt there will have been interest from French teams and who will have been looking to, to reinforce their midfield. So, yeah, at the way Silvers gave it to Davis, I think that there could probably be a left-field choice like Pickford, like Kenny, to, to be the captain, but if it was Schneidlin, I think the, the, he wouldn't need no team talk, really, would he? It'd just be go out there and, and all this stuff you've kind of said the last few weeks, go and go and kind of put do yeah. it where it matters on it, the on it, the pitch. It, it, it's weird because you know the, the captaincy c- can go one of two ways. I mean, we mentioned Duncan then, you know, the way he responded to getting the armband, you know, he's like a man possessed, you know, so it meant so much to him and it reflected you know, in his performance. And that was great man management by Howard Kendall. I think he spotted that in him. And you know, so he got the reaction he wanted. But equally, there are other players that it can weigh really heavily that responsibility and they think you know, so too much about their game. I don't know what kind of character Morgan Schneiderlin is, you know, so which camp he falls into. You know, he could be a guy that would respond well to it and would you know, you know, get a real lift, a real boost to his performance you know, for having that responsibility given to him. Or it could be somebody you know who thinks you know so too long and hard about his game. Only you know Marco Silva will know that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you know who does you know so which way he does go at the weekend. Well, of course, this is only like speculation. Like Coleman may well be fit enough to play at the weekend. Well, yeah, we don't know. I mean, like, it could be a precaution. We hope so. You know, yeah. he was uh, he came back with an unspecified ankle injury. We don't know what it is. It would be strange for Martin O'Neill yeah. in Ireland to take a precaution over an Everton player <laughs> over injury, though, wouldn't it? Indeed, like, yeah. If we're honest, <laughs> another name that I will throw out there though, just in case Coleman's injured, Gilfie Sigurdsson. He has captain Iceland over yeah. the international break. I'd be perfectly happy with that. Wouldn't yeah. be a bad shot. Start yeah, of the yeah. season. Well, hopefully get a, add a few more. Just got to add a few more goals to his game now. I think. Uh, yeah. Only player that's played every match as well. You know, he made you know widespread changes for the Rotherham game, but you know, Gilfie didn't. He stayed yeah. in there, and uh, I, I like him a lot. Big yeah. fan of his, and yeah, I would be completely comfortable seeing him. You know, so lead Everton out. I think what I've been impressed with with Gilfie this season was that obviously you know the the injury curtailed his season a little bit earlier than others, but you know didn't didn't do anything major at the World Cup. You know, not that Iceland were expected to, but I think. Mr. Penalty. Yeah, he missed a penalty, <laughs> but you know, obviously didn't didn't impress in maybe a way yeah. he'd wanted to. But yeah. you know, I think last season if if you'd spent 10, 15, 20 million on Sigurdsson, you would have been really pleased with what with what he did. And I think just obviously having to pay that price tag was is something that's always gonna weigh heavily on any player, isn't it? And I think especially coming into a team that was struggling so badly. But this season already, you know, he's looked every inch a, a kind of forty million player, hasn't he? You know, he's in, he's been good on the ball. 
He's got a couple of assists from set, set pieces. Look absolutely wicked this season, don't they? And if I was Yeti Mina, I'd be licking my six foot five inch lips. Well, I mean, I don't think his, don't think his lips are that big, but I think he's that tall. <laughs> I think the lips may be at the top of his licking six foot five frame. Licking his whole six foot five frame. <laughs> uh, at the chance to, to nod one of those corners in. And I think, what was the seat? Was it Hinchcliffe to... Hinchcliffe to Ralph Ferguson and ride out the RAF as they were uh, christened by so myself. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully... I am not surprised by well, that. Well, we had all, SAS right? didn't miss sharing him yeah. and so we tried to think of something different. <laughs> RAF, ride out in Ferguson. It never really caught on. No, so, no. you know, obviously you, you could have that, that from set pieces, you know, the likes of him and, and Michael Keane's a big lad and Kurt Zuma, amazing at attacking the football. So... You know that that could be another kind of arrow so to our, what Michael Keane you mentioned there. It'd be interesting to see, you know, whether he's available or you know considered or not, because he was playing so well. You know, so prior yeah. to that, he's still injury. got a time a timeout. Still, he really, yeah. He yeah. He's still not allowed to head the ball. Oh, that's I, that's I, a I shame because you know he was looking, you know, finally so comfortable. Um, I think in know, that Bournemouth game in particular, like I was saying to Phil, obviously me and Phil travelled down to the game yeah. to watch that, and I was, I was saying. Even in the first half, that he was dominating every aerial battle, it was no surprise to me to see him score in a header. Um, even his bravery to j- even jump for that one so late in the game, obviously yeah. he was working so hard to try and preserve the point that we had at, at that stage. So, yeah, I think I think it would be a real shame if he were to drop out the team altogether. I'd li- I'd like to see him given the opportunity when he's fit again. Key might be the ultimate beneficiary of the summer transfer spender, mightn't he? Because it might, you know. There was times last year where he looked genuinely near. He almost looked like a young player who was like taking his first steps into the. Fi- he didn't. He didn't show that he was a player who'd played for England or played a, over the full a full season Premier in League the defense. Premier League. Yeah, who was rated one of the best players in the Premier League the season before he joined. You know, and, and maybe in in that Bournemouth thing, there was almost symptoms, wasn't there, of of him saying, "All right, you know, the club have went out here and and they've obviously identified centre back as a position to strengthen." You know. Not just because of Ashley Williams' decline, not just because Jags is getting older, but because he looked shaky at times, didn't he? And and now he's he's obviously when he returns, has got to say he's got a genuine fight on his hands with Mason Holgate, who I think has been really impressive. Phil Jagielka, the club captain, Kurt Zuma, who's been amazing in his first two games, and and, and then a a thirty million, twenty seven million pound player in Yeri Mina from Barcelona and. You know, or that that will show, if that doesn't improve your game, then I don't think anything will, will it? Mm-hmm. I hope so. So that's all we've got time for today. Thank you, Sam, and thank you, Preno, for joining me for today's podcast. Uh, we'll have a lot more on uh, the West Ham game later in the week. Obviously, reflect on Marco Silva's press conference, and don't forget, of course, to review and subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest Everton news with the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.